Good evening to you all, and um, it's a pleasure once again to be with you this evening. <clears throat> uh, we're continuing through First Thessalonians, uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, the first uh, letter, and we're in chapter 5 this evening. Chapter 5 this evening. I don't know how many of you are looking forward to the gyms being open tomorrow. I know I definitely am. <clears throat> I've missed it. You know, um, as you can see. <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to, to getting back to, you know, back in the gym. There's a, there's a lot more to them just, you know, the going there. It's, it's really, it's, it's, I find it very therapeutic and it's an indicator of actually where my health is and as I look back and see how... And that was really largely my own fault because there was a lot to do, you know. The government weren't saying, you're not allowed outside. You could still go for a run. I just chose not to. Um, but I look forward to getting back in there. I mean, thinking about health, that has been an underlying theme of Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. There we were back in chapter 1 as Paul commended this church. He commended their health because they were being spoken about across Macedonia um, as a church. And he was remembering them there in um, chapter 1 of 1st Thessalonians. Paul says in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for uh, all of you, constantly mentioning in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here was a church that was working, that was laboring, that was steadfast. Paul commended them. I've been serving here in, in, in Wood Green. Uh, it'll be coming on 11 years uh, in June uh, this year. It'll be 11 years. So I feel I'm equipped to be able to say that this is a healthy church. This is a healthy church. You know, members here, those who come here, you'll know this is a healthy church. Being around this morning to see all the, 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 the seats filled, it, it, it was encouraging. But I know that even when... The seats aren't filled. I know that this church is a church that seeks to look towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to return to the sermon this morning and to continue to listen to that over and over again. Uh, uh, if, you know, to, to coin a, a, a phrase that's used in popular culture now. Uh, Pastor Ryan, you've been, you've been in your bag in terms of preaching through Zechariah, in this season that we've been in, we've been being reminded that the Lord will be king over and over again. And as a church, in, in, in this particular season, a difficult season for us individually and for the nation and for the world, to be reminded of that was vitally important. And again, as, as we've been looking through Thessalonians, we've been reminded that... Um, what a healthy church looks like. 
And if at any point we may be puffed up or think we've arrived or we stand somewhere, there was a little reminder in this morning's service that the Lord can remove your lampstand. The church belongs to Jesus Christ and he is the head of the church. So we must continually be looking towards health to maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Like, just like I was saying, you know, my health can't stop just because there doesn't happen to be a gyms around. I must continue to eat right, to, to live right, to, 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 to exercise, to maintain my health. That's my responsibility. This evening I want to encourage, uh, admonish and challenge you as you're reminded what a healthy church looks like. Now, now, it's important to make that distinction. The church in Thessalonica and the church in Wood Green is not a perfect church. Just as I'm not, uh, uh, if it doesn't matter how long I go to the gym, I'm not going to be the perfect human being. But I can be healthy. We would do well to look towards the example of this church. As we continue in chapter 5, we're going to see that Paul once again shifts his focus from the latter part of chapter 4 and into the opening verses of chapter 5. Paul has dealt with the rapture of the church, the end times, and the church's responsibility to be aware and committed during the time leading to the Lord's coming. And of course, our text this evening is certainly needful in those latter days. But in reality, these verses paint a picture of what a church ought to resemble at any time. Again, I must help us to keep in mind in us that Paul uh, founded this church after only being there for a matter of weeks that he was, had a vested in, interest in their prosperity, in their growth, in their continual walk. So even though he was removed from them, he still longed for them to prosper, for them to continue with what they had been called to do. I want to spend uh, this couple moments that we have this evening considering those challenges as Paul reveals to us what a healthy church looks like and what really is at the heart of a healthy church. You know, we saw the fruit of a healthy church, a church that is walking by faith, is laboring in love and is steadfast in hope. But also, what's at the heart of that? Let's read there. First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 12 through to 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, 
but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We'll pause our reading there. Let's pray. Most heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that I could be bold enough to be able to say that this is a healthy church. And I can say that knowing that it is not anything that we have done, but by your grace and by your mercy, that you have equipped us, you have challenged us, you have driven us, you have uh, strived to, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if at any point we have wavered, Lord, please forgive us. Please forgive us. Cause us to return to Jesus Christ every single second of our lives. And as a church, as a congregation, that we might encourage one another. As Paul said um, um, earlier in, in, in this chapter, that we encourage one another in these things. Help us, Father, as we come to your word this evening. May we see what it is to be a healthy church and may we look at that and continually strive towards that and nothing else in jesus name amen 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 understand uh, you know me and me and ryan we've not colluded in any way we've, we've not so like just because you might allude to things that were said this morning you know we've, there's been no we haven't talked at the back yeah, this today we're going to like really help them to see what it is, you know. But no, the first thing that Paul says there, there's a word there concerning the pastor. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul here speaks concerning the role of a pastor among the church. And he reminds them of the importance of this role and the attitude that they must have regarding their pastor. The pastor is not the Lord over the church. He's not to be a dictator. But God has ordained the office of a pastor. And that office is to be viewed with respect and humility. A church that does not have a proper attitude or respect for the pastor will never prosper. But let's consider what Paul has to say to the Thessalonican church concerning the pastor. First, he talks about their labor. those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. The first attribute of a pastor is that he speaks of, as Paul speaks of, is that they are laborers. And that's an interesting term. It ought to be interesting to us because it reveals much of what it involves in working among God's people. It goes beyond the simple job or task uh, that we might commonly attribute in, in the working sphere today. You know, I, I, I work in uh, secular work. I work with people each and every single day. Uh, I work in uh, welfare to work. So I'm supporting people who are unemployed back into employment. And let me tell you, each and every single call is draining. 
Because not only am I dealing with people who are frustrated, who are struggling in their own lives, some things that, a lot of things that they don't tell me, but I'm bringing with that my own struggles. But we've got to go and we've got to follow a simple process. And then I add bits and bobs to it. But I come back every single day. I mean, I'm working from home at the moment. But I, and when I come back from work, I'm, I'm spent. The work of a pastor in like manner is one that is laboring to the point of exhaustion. You know, I had a chance as, uh, uh, yesterday as I went to collect some of the food uh, um, that we, by God's grace, have been able to, to support the community with. And we thank God for that. You know, it was something that, as my eyes beheld it, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, he's a, he, he, he's a, he's a wondrous saviour. He, he, he is so kind to us. <clears throat> but there with uh, Pastor Reagan, and he's someone who about the gym and you know, what we're going to do, and he's, re he's really gone into it. I was like, wow, okay, I've got so much, to, <laughs> so much to do. But he's someone that I often speak to him, and he's one that he will do everything he can. If he comes home dragging his feet, he knows that he has served the Lord that day. He's always someone who wants to throw himself totally in to the work in Angel, to the point of exhaustion. He's been an incredible encouragement to me as I have looked at him, um, when, especially when I was working in Angel, spending time with him. I saw a pastor who loves the Lord's people, but someone who labors. Paul's not saying this for us to have any sympathy or even in a sense of arrogance. He's simply revealing the heart of God's man and the work that he's been called to do. Paul's commitment to the church was not limited by physical weakness or weariness. Even when his body was tired, he did not feel, and he didn't feel like doing anything else, he continued to labor among them. You know, we, we were reminded this morning of the fact that there are churches where there are preachers, there are pastors who, who, who are not doing what they've been called to do. They may be lazy, often seeking to, to benefit themselves in different ways. But the man of God who has his heart right is devoted to the church and its work and has no problem laboring among the church. He will go above and beyond. And if you see such a man amongst you, esteem him very highly. The church has an obligation to pray for their pastor, to encourage him in his labor that he's engaged him, because that would be of benefit not just to him, but to yourselves, to ourselves. Their labor, but also their leadership. He called them to be there, there over you. They are over you. Uh, um, esteem very high, load, uh, over you in the Lord and admonish you. There in verse 12. The leadership of the pastor. If you would have heard this morning, you would have heard that expression as of an under-shepherd. The leader of the church. 
Again, it doesn't imply someone who is lord over the church or, 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 or some, some harsh dictator. But God has placed the pastor in a position of leadership and he will give an account to God for the church he pastors. We talk about that day of the Lord as Paul has been talking about in chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 and just picture it, you know. Maybe a podium just like this as the, the Lord Jesus Christ stands and, and Ryan is sat where he is and, and Lord Jesus says to Ryan, I want an account for each and every single person who has walked in and out of those doors. A pastor who labors and loves the people here is going to know each and every one by name, everything he needs, he needs to know about them to give a good account. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 17, Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account, that they may do so with joy and not with grief. But that's not going to be profitable for you. God will honor those who support and encourage the leadership of the pastor. So their labor, their leadership, their love. Esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. Again, he's making reference to their labor again, but it reminds us that it's for love. Love is involved. The church is encouraged to love the pastor for the work that he does. A pastor that is loved and supported by the congregation he serves will be more beneficial and fruitful in ministry. It's no coincidence, as I said, you know, and through the preaching that has come from this pulpit, has coincided with the, the, the drive and the willingness of God's people to serve this local community. Being able to devote himself and ourselves to the work of preaching and teaching as I'm talking with others about other roles within the church that point towards the health of the church. Remembering that loving our pastor is actually coming to effect by us striving to make more of our own gifts. The more we make use of our own gifts, and the more, as I, you know, I was talking to someone this morning, as you know, we, 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 it goes back to that leadership aspect. As we said that, as somebody that Pastor Ryan always says, you don't need my permission to do things in the church. If you see something that needs to be done, just do it. And as that happens, more and more, and I'm seeing people come up with ideas about, you know, Charles, we need to do this. With I'm like, wow. Do you realize that the more that happens, the more we are showing our love for our pastor's leadership and labor. A pastor who doesn't love the church will not be very active in labor. But a man who loves will be compelled to labor earnestly for their benefit. I harken back to uh, the, the, the upbringing that I had as a young man in Roman Catholic Church. I remember we spent some time in, in Brazil during the, the World Youth Day. Um, we were headed up to Brazil. It was, 
an ill-advised time, but it was a nice time, not to say the least. But um, I remember we were driving across, across Brazil and we were obviously going, headed towards the Copacabana. So it was the, 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 the priests were, who were leading each um, coach. We would stop every now and again and they would give a homily. And I remember one priest, um, um, priest he said, oh, you know, he hearkened towards the evangelical church. He hearkened towards the, 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 the Protestant church. And he talked about how the pastor was different to the priest. There, there, there seems to be a real understanding of, of the labor that a pastor has, because he talked about someone who doesn't just serve for the term that a priest would. Most priests are commissioned to where they're serving by the bishop of that diocese. So if you're in Westminster Diocese that we're in, and you be, as a seminarian, you become a priest, the bishop will commission you to wherever you may be. Say you're in Wood Green, but you'd only be here for a year, two years then you'd move across somewhere else, wherever you happen to go. And this priest was baffled. He said, oh, you know, there's some pastors that are serving 20, 50, 60 years in the same place. But he talked about it in a, in a, in a, in a glowing way, like, this, this is amazing. Some of the stories I've heard of pastors who have served for that length of time, it's not... Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. No, I wish I could go back. Um, again, I call him my pastor, Pastor Barry, who, who baptized me. Uh, um, he spent a good couple months just in this verse. Those Mondays, as we would meet for the prayer meeting for revival, we'd come back to this text, come back, keep coming back, and keep coming back. I was like, whoa. But he drew so much from it. But let's delve in there ourselves. Um, um, concerning us as people, we have A, an obligation to the defiant. We have an obligation to the defiant. Paul reveals a biblical principle that is often overlooked and neglected in our day. The church is obligated to warn those who are unruly. We are obligated to sound the alarm and to seek to lovingly correct those who stray. Admonish the idol. I mean, it presents the, 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 the idea of an officer who might be correcting a soldier who has disobeyed orders and is not marching in line with those within his company. Admonish those who are idle, uh, those who are unruly, those who are walking incorrectly. It's not often done in modern society. So it's very needful and beneficial. I look at that, you know, even, even in my position as, as a father. If I don't admonish the unruly behavior of my sons, I'm setting them up for failure. 
No good and loving father looks past that responsibility. No good and loving parent looks past that, even more so in the church. We have a biblical obligation to warn those who are walking out of line. We are to admonish those who are living purposely outside the will of God. We ought to encourage fellow believers to submit their lives to the word and to the will of God. Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Those who are being defiant, those who are being idle, we have an obligation to them. We also have an obligation to those who are discouraged. Help the weak. Sorry, encourage the faint-hearted, sorry. This speaks of those who are weary in their faith, almost ready to give up and abandon the work. They're to be comforted. They're to be calmed. They're to be consoled. That really calls upon us to be aware of what's going on in the lives of our brothers and sisters. I come from a background where, you know, we'd walk into the church, we'd sit down, receive the communion, and leave. I had no knowledge of what was going on in the life of the person who was sat beside me. We all know of those who were once committed. We know someone who was once committed to the Lord and active in the church. But for some reason, they grew despondent. They grew discouraged. They became faint-hearted and they faded away. We all know one person, at least one. We are obligated to reach out to those people. Those who are weak, we are to comfort them. We need to encourage and support them. You know, we've all had times when we've been discouraged and we've been in need of encouragement. And had it not been for someone, some concerned saint who took you to one side, brother, sister, how are you? You know, uh, I miss Sister Annie. You know, we were talking about her earlier. I'd come in and she'd just be waiting. Brother, how are you in the Lord? Repeatedly, but it didn't come as if someone who was going through the motions. You know, we, we, we're all, you know, part of, you know, English culture where, you know, we keep ourselves to ourselves. We don't really involve ourselves. We have people who come from different cultures where church life is more, there's this passion that you're involved with people. And sometimes when we see it, we just, oh, wow, that's a bit strange. Didn't she read my Facebook status? I told her I was okay. Or uh... <laughs> We have an obligation to those who are discouraged. Encourage one another. We have an, encourage, an obligation to those who are dependent. Help the weak. Help the weak. 
Those who are weak speaks of those who yield easily to temptation, who are easily led astray, not, not weak in physical strength. You know, we can all be weak every now and again. We can all be sick. Weakness, if it, if it were simply that, then we'd all, we'd all be amongst there. We're all amongst there in some way or short. But these are people who are, who are burdened, who are discouraged, who are defeated. And that discouragement and defeat weighs so heavy upon them that they become weak. Paul ministered amongst the day of, in a day of gross sin and immorality, a time where uh, um, worship had been so conflated with, uh, with hedonism and sexual immorality that he's having to tell them that you must abstain from what you see around you to walk orderly. And no doubt, there are people who would struggle in those circumstances to see such liberation as we see around in the world today. You know, I, I know that it doesn't matter who we are, we all have one vice, one weakness somewhere. You know, the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify us and we're all walking on that journey. But Paul himself talks about a thorn in the flesh. The great Paul, the great preacher, the great church planter, had his own weaknesses. And it's not for us to go and to uh, uh, have a, you know, do a quick analysis. Hey, brother, sister, what are your weaknesses? You could do that, I guess, in a, in a, in a private way, and to list and tick them off. But to be weary, to, to be wary of, of, of our brothers and sisters and know where their weaknesses may lie. Support and encourage one another. Being around one another. We learn about those things. Temptation is around us so much. There is abundance of false doctrine. Apostasy is easily spread. It's even encouraged today. Many believers find themselves exhausted totally wearied from, from, from just having to battle each and every day with not just what they see, but what lies within. Those who are strong in the Lord need to support those who are weak. You know, like I mentioned, in, in my line of work, you know, I'm, I'm constantly working with people who are being supported by the government. You know, they've, they've, they've fallen on difficult times. So, you know, in order to uh, pay their rent, pay their mortgages, to support their families, the government has to support them. Unfortunately, a culture has been created where people become dependent on that. It encourages weakness. There are, well, people are allowed to just mully along. Oh, you know, I can, you know, we see, go to the job centre and I was, oh, you've applied for any jobs today? Uh, no, not really. Oh, okay. Let's move on. Now, I can't work like that. 
I can't work like that. I know it's difficult, definitely. I can't, but I can't work like that. I want to support with as much empathy as I can, but to support those who are weak, that they may not stay weak, but that they may regain their strength. They may be reminded of their strengths, of their gifts, of what God has bestowed. Because often when you're weak, when you're exhausted, your eyes are blinded to your own capabilities. It takes someone who is strong in the Lord, in a local church context, to come to those who are weak and to, be, to remind them continually of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that he can do in us for the glory of his name. We have an obligation to those who are different. Be patient. That's one thing. If there's anything in this text that I struggle with, it's that one. Be patient with them all. And I know there's some people that, you know, they test your patience. You know, if someone's weak, you can see it. Oh, they're weak. Oh, let me help them in this weakness. And you may come there, oh, I'm strong. So maybe I'll help them in some way. And it can come to some good effect. But being patient with someone who tests your patience. Not only were the people of Thessalonica and us to care for and support those of like faith, they were to show patience towards all men. That includes people who have not been saved. That includes going to a prayer meeting where someone is speaking over the pastor as he's seeking to preach, to talk. We need to be patient. We must be patient. Everyone is on their own journey. We must continue to be patient and encourage. We're in the middle of a, a sermon and children are running around. Making, we must be patient with them. We must love them. We must encourage them and be patient with them. As the Lord has been patient with us, we must be patient towards all men. And encourage, it talks about the idea of being long-suffering, steadfast, persevering. Sometimes it's hard to be patient, especially to those who are of the faith, because we expect better. But who are we to expect better when the Lord was patient with us? I know I've sometimes spoken harshly with someone who has fallen. Yet when I fell, it was someone who had to speak softly with me. And say, brother, this is what you know. Be patient with them all. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as the Lord Christ has forgiven you. A word concerning the pastor. A word concerning the people. Finally, a word concerning our principles. A healthy church is one that has a pastor who labors, who loves, who leads. A, a healthy church has people 
who have an obligation to those who are defiant, those who are discouraged, those who are defeated. A healthy church has principles. Has principles that we stick by. You know? There's going to be a, fo a, a football reference here that might, you know, some people, but I remember when uh, uh, Jose Mourinho, the Spurs manager, before he became the Tottenham manager, uh, he was on a TV show, he was on like a, a football match and he was one of the pundits. So basically, he was discussing an ongoing game. Now at the beginning of the season, Manchester United played Chelsea. And uh, the people were saying that you know, the Chelsea manager was someone that was well-liked, a guy called Frank Lampard. If you don't know him, it doesn't really matter. But what the point I was making is that he was a well-liked character, an Englishman that everyone loves, and they just wanted him to do well. And one thing Mourinho said was that this manager's principles are not right. When he, and he talked about defending as a unit, everyone gathering together and doing the right thing together. And when he said that, this, this, this manager's team, they were all over the place. They had lost their principles. Now, everyone argued with Mourinho after that. I looked on social media. They said, oh, this old guy is talking rubbish. Lampard's going to be great. It doesn't really matter what Mourinho says. Mourinho, he's an old, he's, an, he's, he's a dinosaur from old age. Lampard's been sacked. He's not in, in work anymore. And the thing that brought him down was a fundamental lack of principles. When I was doing the, uh, football coaching and working with young people, you teach them the basic principles of football. The basic principles, because from there, everything else springs out. That's no different to a local church. There are principles of what is expected of a believer in a local church. And as soon as we start to wander away from them and abandon them, well, it's like a team defending against 11 players and you're on your own because some people are over there, some players are over there, and the goal is behind you and you're on your own because they've lost their principles. But the minute we start to bring, come together and remember those principles, The fiery darts of the evil one, the, the world outside, they no longer can, 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 can impact us because we're stuck together. We have those principles. We're a unit. What is expected of a believer? See that, verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Very simple, but um, so profoundly missed. It's within human nature when someone loves you or does something kind to you, you, you tend to want to do that back to them. You know, someone bought me a gift and I'm already planning how I'm going to get them that gift back. Or someone was kind to me, I'm thinking of how I can show that kindness back, that love and appreciation. But we are often tempted to return evil or anger for the same thing. Most of us deal with that urge to, to get even. That is not what God requires or expects from us. 
The Christian is expected to rise above the temptations of the flesh and to render loving kindness for evil. That is the radical reality of the Christian life. When evil is done to us, we're supposed to respond with love. It's easy to say here, but when it happens, it's so difficult. Even when we are mistreated or we are wronged, we are to show love and godliness. And applies to every single situation and every circumstance. There is never a time when it's acceptable for a Christian to lash out or to seek revenge. There is no time where that is at all acceptable. We need to express the love of God rather than the hatred and anger of men. Our principle of what is expected of us not to render evil for evil. We also have a principle for what is to be embraced. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We are always to seek and follow that which is good and godly. It's not okay just to, to if someone wrongs you, just to not to wrong them. <laughs> to, to, to not do anything is not really love. Someone wrongs you and I just ignore, ignore them. That's, that's not love. I was talking to someone earlier about um, trying to get back into social work. Uh, my mum began an organisation seeking to support and to help look after young people as they move from social care to independent living. This organisation was sort of like the halfway house where they seek to, to um, house young people and to teach them those basic principles of living on your own, how to wash your clothes, how to go to uh, uh, open a bank account. All those fundamental things are taught. And trust me, those people are frustrating. They test your patience. And as I'm now considering myself, you know, how am I going to continue this? Because I want to do this. I have a love for people. I have a love for the lost. I have a love, especially for ex-offenders, to see how the love of Christ can reach them. But then I had to question, I do a lot of soul search and asking myself, what are my capabilities? You know, my mom, she, she, was, a, she was a busybody. She was intrusive. If someone's, something's going wrong, she wants to know what's going wrong, how she can fix it. And that's what made her a good social worker. I'm different. If someone annoys me, I'll tend to just ignore them. <laughs> Get on with my life. I've got so much to do. But that's not love. That's not love. No. Me and my Pastor Ryan were talking this morning about those who have, you know, swept themselves clean of, uh, of, uh, of, 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 you know, spiritual entities or even of those wrongdoings. We've stopped doing them. But what have we replaced them with? Do good to one another. A church that is filled with love 
will be a prosperous church. In contrast to a church that is filled with wrath and strife and anger, that church will struggle. That church will fail. May Grace Baptist Church Wood Green be constantly known for our love, our compassion, rather than anger and vengeance and wrath. When the church is wronged, may we respond with love. As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith, but unto all men. Leadership, people, principles. Those are the, that's the heart of a good church, a good church with leadership that has a direction. And that direction is to the glory of Jesus Christ. A people that are loving each other for the glory of Jesus Christ. A people that has the foundation, the principles of having Jesus Christ's name being glorified continually. Paul had spoken to the church in Thessalonica regarding their spiritual health and well-being. God has spoken to us through his word. We need to embrace the great truth that is revealed here. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. How are these things among us? Are we mindful of the needs of others? Are we willing to come alongside those who need support and help? Are we really appreciative of the contribution of others? I can confidently say that the vast majority of us are. But what Paul says is that, I know you've been doing those things, but do them even more. I pray the church will be healthy and made up of strong, committed, and compassionate Christians seeking to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly and gracious Father, thank you, Lord, for equipping us, for uh, strengthening us, especially during a season such as this that has been filled with difficulty, with strife, with loss. Father, they're, 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 were it down to us, were we to live by the flesh and by our own power and our own ability, we would have failed a long time ago. A long time ago. Wouldn't uh, talk about 11 years, I wouldn't have lasted 11 minutes were I living by my own power. This is all you're doing, Lord. This is all your grace, all your mercy. 
Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to not grow weary in well-doing. Uh, let us not pontificate from our own pulpits in our hearts, but may we be those who, who get down and get our hands dirty in the work of love. And may we do this not for our own glory, not for our own name, but for the name of Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.